0: Welcome to Loud and Clear, a podcast dedicated to amplifying the voices of women in music. I'm your host, Olivia Adams, and today we are talking all about creating sensory-friendly concerts with Jenna Richards. Jenna Richards embraces a demanding schedule as a portfolio musician, including performance, research, and arts administration. She has performed from Toronto to Salzburg, organized national research projects, and programmed 750-plus music events. Jenna holds nine consecutive Nova Scotia Talent Trust Awards and is currently pursuing her phd in interdisciplinary research in music serving as the associate music director for the canadian centennial choir and programming various artistic streams at ottawa chamberfest in her very little downtime jenna loves being in nature playing soccer and learning languages Welcome, Jenna. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thanks. Thanks for coming on the podcast today. Can you tell us more about yourself and what led you down the path of becoming a musician?
1: Absolutely. And thanks again for having me on this. I'm just so thrilled to be here with you talking about the amazing work that all of these different women are doing across the country and beyond. So a bit about myself. I have played the piano since I can remember. Uh, I have an older brother and I just absolutely wanted to do every single thing he did. So when he was about five, he started playing the piano and I used to crawl up on the bench next to him and bug him so much while he was trying to practice when I was about three. And I never really remember a time where I didn't feel like a musician, but I I think that what led me down the path to becoming a professional musician was that I really couldn't imagine my life without music in it. And um, when I was a kid, I didn't really know what that meant. As I've you know grown up, I've come to appreciate that being a musician has many different facets for many different people. But for me, music was always part of my family life too. My grandfather was a tap dancer in the Celtic tradition, and on my mom's side, um, she has a number of sisters and a brother, and they can sing you know five part harmony to any folk song or hymn that you've ever heard. So I knew that I had very strong connections to music and it was part of my life and I wanted it to become something that I did forever.
0: I love that, that it was it was something that was like fostered. You said you couldn't imagine yourself not being a musician. That's, I think that's so important that you grew up in an environment that valued music. I think it's hard to, to find a career path in music. I think if you don't have that early on.
1: I totally agree. Like the passion part of it definitely drives you. And, you know, I saw different versions of what a musician, Was even when I was a kid. No no one in my family was a classical musician, and even though that's kind of the route I went down, I appreciated music more as like a a whole, I think, than perhaps some people who who might have a narrower focus. And you know, developing those human connections and having that kind of sense of family that's tied to music. I made lifelong friendships when I was a kid through music lessons. I also played the violin in an orchestra, and I think that that really created such a strong tie between my even just my personality and and music itself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so great. So now you are working on creating sensory friendly concerts or adaptive concerts for Ottawa Chamberfest. You do a lot of administrative and, and concerts for them as well. For those who might not know, can you explain what is a sensory friendly concert?
1: Totally. So counter to a traditional concert environment, and here we're kind of talking more about the Western classical tradition, I will mm. preface it with that, where you kind of come in and you sit down and it's quiet and it's a long period in stillness and you know you might have specific moments where you're going to be clapping. An adaptive concert is a concert format that's a bit more welcoming and inclusive to differences. Uh, Mm -hmm. And when I say that, what I mean is that there are modifications made to the environment, there are modifications made to the programming, and natural behaviors are accepted. So this lends itself really well to um, individuals who have exceptionalities, but also to their their whole family so that they can have that concert experience that we all deserve to have, these amazing cultural experiences, but um, so that they don't have to feel worried or anxious that they might not have a success. Successful outing because of some natural behaviors that might occur. And these concerts have a history from film and theater. They started in about the 1990s, where people would modify films so that the lighting and sounds would be um, slightly less. And in theater, they made modifications so that the programming would be shorter or that there wouldn't be flashing lights or things um, in particular that would bother those who have sensory sensitivities. But when it came over to North America, which has only been about a decade, actually, that it's been mm-hmm. here, it, it did start moving into music and the modifications are slightly different. And we've actually seen that it's not just sensory sensitivities. It's not just you know dimming lights and, and those sorts of things that um, work for these populations. There's a really wide range of needs. And there are many people included in this demographic, you know, the neurodiverse and those with disabilities who don't have sensory sensitivities, but who still can't attend a regular performance. So that's why we're transitioning that. You've seen that terminology, sensory friendly. We're now transitioning that to adapted programming because it's more inclusive terminology and and targets a a wider demographic.
0: Yeah. So when you're saying the concerts are open to natural reactions, we're talking like clapping between movements or even in the middle of the piece of music.
1: Or needing to move around or a vocalization that might happen. We're not talking about, you know, consistent conversation. We're not talking about anything that's disrespectful to the performing artists at all. But actually the way that these concerts started in Canada was through Xenia Xenia Concerts which is an amazing organization based in Toronto that's um, really dedicated to this work. And the reason why it started was that there was a string quartet, the Cecilia String Quartet, who heard from a family that they had brought their daughter to a concert and she had like exclaimed out of excitement in the middle of a symphony or something. And Mm -hmm. multiple people shushed her and at that point an usher made her leave. So this person observed this and thought like that's a horrible situation Mm -hmm. you know this person was just excited and they might not be able to self-regulate in the same way as someone who is neurotypical but why does that mean that they're prevented from attending what is a phenomenal experience Mm -hmm. um you know that's a social injustice how can we correct it and so that's how these concerts started to to happen was that people realized it's just not just to to have a, a very large part of our population sort of pushed out or made to feel unwelcome in these cultural environments and so we need to create something that works in tandem with that
0: I love that it's so important and you're right it is a social injustice because it's if you can't follow this specific set of rules and sometimes unspoken rules 100 then you you don't belong here whereas that's that's really not true so when was it that you started learning about the adaptive concerts and then what was the timeline for you implementing it and was it first through Ottawa Chamberfest or were you doing things independently and then you brought it to the organization so
1: uh I did first hear about the concerts through Xenia concerts um, in Toronto. And I would say that was about 2015 or 2016. And I think they're the first organization who ever did music presentations of this kind in Canada. And I was already working with Chamberfest in my early years of administration. And Xenia decided to talk to Chamberfest about a partnership, which they're doing with many arts organizations um, to try to help these organizations understand and present these concerts. And so that was my first understanding of this type of presentation was through Xenia, bringing it to Chamberfest. And in those early days, Xenia was really responsible for how the programming ran, and Chamberfest was the presenter in Ottawa. But as we progressed, I became extremely interested in advancing advancing this medium even further, especially because at that time, there were so few, there was very little research done. We were trying to do the best we could, but we didn't have a lot of data to support which types of programming were the right ways to present to a very diverse set of needs, or what the adjustments and modifications to the environment were that were most important how to support caregivers and and families who were coming so at Chamberfest, we then started to do kind of our own independent research we were also working with community organizations that have been fundamental in this like the lotus center for special music Mm -hmm. education in ottawa dr erin parks who's just phenomenal Um, she she is and she does work with the nac on these types of concerts as well the national arts center orchestra and so uh, we started to develop our own model a bit further in at chamber Fest and then presented independently. And I probably played my first sensory friendly concert personally in 2018 or 2019. So it hasn't been that long, but I've now come to present many of them. And we've expanded beyond only presenting for families with kids who have exceptionalities to also working with hospitals for children in palliative care and to working in long-term care facilities with seniors who have dementia and uh, Alzheimer's, because they're also part of the neurodiverse and uh, disabled isolated groups really that cannot come to cultural events. So that expansion is, is really something that's important to me to make sure that we are providing access to as many people as possible because if music is that important and beautiful in all of our lives why shouldn't it be part of everyone's life
0: absolutely that's wonderful i i love that you're also adapting it to their environment right because they can't always come out you know Mm -hmm. if people are in um seniors' residences, they can't always come out to a concert or they're maybe not even physically able to leave the facility. So an environment where they're comfortable, I think that that really does matter. So when you're tailoring a concert experience, do you tailor it to different needs each time? Do you have you had mentioned that you're mostly it was started with creating it for kids. But do you do it for neurodiverse adults that maybe aren't in uh, palliative care or in a, a residence?
1: Yeah, so we work with artists individually on every program. And that's something that I think long term won't be as necessary because more artists will have training and understanding of these performances. But since we're in such an early stages, you know, five to 10 years of these presentations, there aren't too many artists who've presented these concerts yet. So it's important to um, set their expect- expectations so that they have a successful experience too. So, we do tailor every concert experience based on the artist's proficiency and uh, comfort level. So, there might be different instrumentation, there might be a pre workshop, there might be you know, a PDF that supports by having like visual uh, drawing that uh, people can do or activities. We've also done both online and in person during COVID, we adapted to have online sensory friendly and adapted performances. And And those have really proven to work well also for palliative care because during COVID they've been Mm -hmm. so isolated and you really can't go into some of these settings. So the online performances have worked really well. We haven't done too many presentations for adults who are neurodiverse, who are not in home care settings. Mm. Mm -hmm. But I will say that at our adaptive concerts for families, we do have teenagers, we have young adults who are coming with their families or sometimes independently, which is awesome. I think that generally it's easier to access families who have kids. Mm Uh, with exceptionalities because self-advocacy is really difficult for these groups and so it's really the caregivers who are bringing their kids Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's something that we really want to be expanding because again that is part of a large part of our population have exceptionalities Mm -hmm. and may not feel comfortable in certain settings and there are adaptations that we can make to every concert environment that would help some of these individuals in their attendance specifically and I think this is really important for everyone who presents concerts to have an accessible space Mm -hmm. That is one thing that you can always do is whether you're if you have your own concert hall, figure out a way to make it accessible. And if you're a presenter who goes into different places, make sure that that's part of your lens when you're when you're deciding where you're presenting a concert is it an accessible space, because otherwise, you're 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 preventing people from the moment that the concert is conceived.
0: Absolutely. That's so important. And that's an easy thing to add to our list when we're when we're looking at venues as musicians. So when you're setting up a space for the adaptive concert experience, I'm curious, is the seating different? Is Or does that pose more of a challenge when you're Mm. in a traditional concert venue because of of the seating? Like, does the seating change? Does the lighting change? What does that physically look like in the space?
1: Yeah, so Dr. Erin Parks, who I mentioned earlier, she and myself were um in the process of publishing a paper that has a, a model for adapted concerts and it's a four-part model and two of those components are pre-show work what i would call pre-show work so one of them is an environmental audit that's looking at everything within the, the concert environment and the other is communications and, and things like this in that environmental audit 100 percent you have to look at seating lighting all of those those points if you're in a traditional raked seating theater typically you have a pretty large stage space Mm -hmm. And my recommendation is actually to use the stage as the full concert hall. And what you do is you bring in some mats and you bring in different chairs and you leave a space open for people to stand or move around or dance. Mm -hmm. And all you have to do is separate the musicians from the audience by what we use is a rainbow tape so that people know they can't cross that line. Yeah. Um, But it really breaks down some of those barriers um, that people experience. Getting into raked seating in a theater for someone who has a physical disability is Mm -hmm. incredibly challenging or they are told exactly where they need to sit. I don't think that that's particularly great Um, and being on one level where you know you can see everything that's going on for the caregivers if their child is running around it's it's Mm -hmm. a lot easier for them Mm -hmm. lighting you mentioned natural lighting is actually the best form of lighting but if if that's not possible which of course in many theaters it's not just keeping lighting at a consistent level is is basically the most important thing, not flashing the lights or ringing a bell at, you know, which you might do five minutes before a performance mm-hmm. in the traditional hall that can be jarring for individuals with sensory sensitivities. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing that I would say that's very important for caretakers, particularly, and this is through a survey that we've done over many years of caretakers who bring individuals to these concerts is that space to move around or the ability to move around. Mm-hmm. So actually having a policy that people are allowed to enter and exit as they please that there's actually another space they can go to if 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 they need a break from the concert, and that within the concert space, they are not expected to sit and be silent. They can move around if they need to. They might sit and be silent, or Mm -hmm. they might, you know, walk, they might stand up and move their arms. Those things are really important so that the environment feels welcoming. So those are some of the modifications that would happen. And then, of course, there are programming modifications too, specifically making the concert shorter. The attention span of any individual, regardless of their capacity, is typically not more than 45 minutes. And so (laughs) these concerts typically now that's what we recommend is 45 minutes and that pieces that are performed are five minutes or less with the sweet spot being about two to three minutes now that does limit your repertoire but I will say you're not going to have a successful adapted concert if a string quartet comes in and plays an entire Beethoven string quartet straight through with no breaks so so those are some of the modifications that you might see and many of them are common sense uh, of course, but it's it's like a checklist that you need to have, and and they really do make a difference for for these families and, and their kids.
0: Absolutely, that sounds incredible. And there's I'm hearing from you like a lot of easy things that anybody can do, even if it's not a fully sensory adaptive concert. But there are there are different things like having a walking space or a place to stand up. That seems like a really easy checklist that we can accommodate. Ooh. I know of some people who 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 would have physical disabilities that would just need to stand, right? And it wasn't even the attention span. It was just, they couldn't sit. for a well, And when life. you
1: think about it, I mean, even for me personally, and I would consider myself probably to be a neurotypical person who's physically able, I can't say that I absolutely love sitting still and quiet for an hour every time I go to a concert. <laughs> so, you know, this idea is not only for individuals who have exceptionalities or disabilities. It's It's also just a way of kind of relaxing the concert environment that still respects the performance itself. Absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. My partner and I have had lots of conversations about clapping in the middle of of pieces we have no problem with that I've played performances in which a kid in the front row acted out the entire Alexina Louis piece Mama. that I was doing right which to me I was like that's great and but then I've also been in environments on on boards or in discussions in which they were saying oh we should have an age limit or we should say no clapping between movements or all of these things that severely limit kids experiences because that means that until they're able to sit still and watch a concert for an hour or so that they don't get to have that concert experience that other kids might might get to have
1: yeah it, it's a conforming to certain principles and like you said some of them are even unwritten which that can be even more challenging for individuals who have exceptionalities to read you know, while some of us can easily read body language or read between the lines, that isn't something that everyone is able to process, especially if they're a neurodiverse individual. So I, I think that that it's important that we we talk about some of these norms and why they are norms and if they need to be, because some of them are preventing certain parts of our population from feeling welcome in in these environments. And and again, it goes back to you know human rights and social injustice. Yeah why do we create concerts in this way? The same way that you know we create tools to help us function and you know they're designed in a way that they work for the majority of the population, but it still means that part of the population is excluded. And in this case, we can change the way that we design these concerts or at least have concert offerings that are in tandem that provide an opportunity. Even if a board, for instance, who is really steadfast in, in having the exact same concert presentations that they've always had, that's fine, but then provide another offering so that there is an opportunity for everyone because otherwise you are consistently excluding certain parts of the population.
0: Absolutely. What are some of the challenges that you've faced while creating these specific concert experiences? I would imagine that there are likely many. I mean, even, I don't know, but perhaps different boards or different venues that expect certain protocols often unwritten to be followed what are what are some of those challenges that you faced
1: so I kind of alluded to it earlier but because we're in such a an early stage of these types of performances there's a lot of training and uncertainty that needs to be addressed it's not just artists of course we don't want to put the burden Mm -hmm. of all of the work onto the artist who is going to be presenting but we also don't want to put the burden fully onto administrators or concert presenters but it's a shared labor that's that's new and so that can be challenging we also have to provide training to all of the staff who are in the venue, staff and volunteers. Again, that can be very simple, uh, you know, just saying people are allowed to enter and exit, people are allowed to have movements, natural exclamations, here are where sensory items that they might need to access to help them sit or or move around. Here's where they are, it can be as straightforward as that, but it does provide that it does require that extra step. So that is a challenge in that, you know, many arts organizations are already strapped for resources. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so um, committing that little bit of extra time to all of those different components in the early stages of presenting can be challenging. And speaking of resources, of course, funding is always tough. And in this particular situation, because these families, have challenges in in attending, it's important that we keep the costs for them low. In our case, we have free admission by registration. That does not mean that it's free for the attendees. They still have to drive there, they still have to park, they might need child care for other members of their family but we need to find alternative methods of funding these concerts if we're going to provide them for free and then there are two other main challenges that come to mind for me one the population is incredibly diverse mm-hmm. and so meeting the needs of the whole population is always going to be a challenge you need to be very versatile and success just looks different you're not necessarily going to have everyone who's registered attend in fact we find that 50 to 60% only come and that's just because it's such a challenge for for individuals with exceptionalities on a daily basis to get out of the house or to go mm-hmm. to attend something and so for as a presenter that is a little bit different than a typical concert where you would usually have like 90% of people come and even the way that people react to music might be different you know one of the concerts that I actually remember most fondly performing online for palliative care kids I think three quarters of the individuals who were attending were asleep by the end of the concert and I remember I was talking to one of the caretakers there and she said these kids have not slept in this peacefully in days this is so amazing for for me to see this. Whereas to me, I was thinking, Oh, my gosh, I'm boring them so much that they've fallen asleep. So you can see how like, to one person, that means one thing and to another, it means something else. And in some cases, you know, uh, having a family be able to experience something together, regardless of how the experience goes is, is successful. Just in them attending. So so that's the very last thing I would say is that as we discussed accessible venues are really important and it is hard to find those spaces. More and more there is funding for buildings and organizations to make modifications to their their halls so that they become accessible. And I would really encourage anyone listening who has a space that is not accessible to look into those options. There are nonprofits and there are funding um, through grants to help develop your space to be accessible. And that will help all of us because we just need those spaces uh, everywhere there's no reason not to make those modifications. Things like stopgap, um, which is just a very simple ramp that goes up to, you know, if there's a one step up in your venue, that one step might prevent people from being able to come in. So just looking into those options and making sure that you're considering that, I think is really important. There are many other challenges, but these are these are such rewarding experiences. And these are all, again, quite common sense. Some of them are extremely easy to fix. So I, I hope people are encouraged, not discouraged by the opportunity that it presents.
0: Absolutely. And it's really important to- if it's something that we have not thought about, then that it's something that we that we start to think about. I know for me, it took me longer, I think, to start to think about sensory adaptive concerts and, and accessibility venues. It really wasn't until I started having uh, students in my studio who had family members with disabilities or they themselves had disabilities or were neurod- neurodivergent. And we had to start doing different accommodations that really once you start doing that and you're in the mindset of it, it's really easy to keep going.
1: I agree so wholeheartedly with that. It's it's a lens that you just have to keep on at all times.
0: Yeah. Do you have a success story or a really special memory that you can share with us about one of these concert experiences? Because like you said, they're so rewarding.
1: Oh, man, I have so many. I I have to say, after every single one of these concerts, I usually am smiling either ear to ear or crying for the rest of the day one way or the other. (laughs) Happy tears most of the time, even when I think about the special concerts, it makes me kind of tear up. One that comes to mind quickly, I was performing an adapted concert at Shankman Arts Centre here in Ottawa with my cellist Beth Silver and we had a little girl in the audience and at the end of the performance we always ask if there are questions and she asked two or three questions and then i could see that her her mother was kind of saying okay that's that's enough but we always say at the very end once the question period is over you know come up and speak to us afterwards we're happy to stay as long as you want this little girl came up and i swear she had like 25 questions. She was so excited. She wanted to know everything about the instruments, everything about us. She herself played multiple instruments and just the level of curiosity and excitement that music gave her was so special to us. Um, we took a picture with her. I still have that picture. And yeah, it was kind of like one of those weird combination of both. You feel a little bit like a rock star because this person yeah. loved what you did so much. But also it's it's just so fulfilling because you see someone who music makes a huge difference in their life mm-hmm. and it, it makes them happy. And in that particular environment, that girl really thrived. Yeah, that that was one really special, exciting moment, I think, that I remember.
0: That's wonderful. So, if someone were they're listening to this, they program concerts, or they're on an administrative team that that does this. What is the first step that you would say if they're wanting to create a sensory friendly concert or an adaptive concert experience? Where where do you suggest that they start? Obviously, I will link your your research once you publish it. I'm I'm happy to share that. But what are places that they can start in?
1: So, of course, anyone who's listening, I uh, would be beyond happy to speak to them personally by email, by phone, whatever um, works, you can put them in contact with me. Mm -hmm. I'm really happy to have had the opportunity in the last few years to to travel to some places to speak about these concerts and make great connections in that way. And those personal connections always help. Xenia Concerts uh, in Toronto is an amazing resource. They work with arts organizations across the country and they have artist training that they're developing. So I would definitely look them up. But one thing that I will say that's really important that sometimes people don't realize at the beginning is that you really have to connect with a local group that works with this population. For us, that was the Lotus Centre for Special Music Education. First of all, they're extremely knowledgeable, welcoming people, but also they're part of that community. Mm -hmm. And if you're a presenter who's never worked with individuals who have exceptionalities or those with disabilities, you have to understand that you aren't part of that community. And so entrenching yourself in an engaged way, as opposed to what I would call traditional outreach, is really important. And there are many, many organizations that work with individuals with exceptionalities. Some of the most common are, of course, with autism. Uh, here in Ontario, we have Autism Ontario. There are lots of, lots of national and regional and local organizations in every place in Canada who, who would be happy to speak to you. And in our case, you know, the Lotus Center also has students. And so a lot of them come to our concerts. um, Mm -hmm. So it's a great way of sharing presentations with them. The last thing that I would say is that, you know, you can look up granting organizations or or talk to your granting organizations if you're an arts presenter, particularly like an incorporated nonprofit or a charity. But there's a lot of funding to explore these types of adaptations that you Mm -hmm. can make to your own presentation offerings. And I would encourage you to do that because I know that resources are, are tough at the same time i have to say that it hurts when organizations use this as a checkbox. and so if you're going to go down this route i hope that you do it for the right reasons and not simply so that you can say that you had a sensory friendly concert this is meaningful work and these are people those are kind of my recommendations and again i'm really happy to speak to anyone my my email is on the ChamberFest website but you can also contact olivia i'm sure we'll
0: yeah we'll be- and I, I will make sure that your your website is linked and, and your social media accounts in in the show notes. I really love that you said you have to connect. You need to be connecting with them and and asking what that community needs rather than deciding yes. what they need and doing a, a one and done concert where you, yeah. you buzz in, buzz out. I love that Chamberfest partners with the Lotus Center in order to make those concert experiences happen.
1: Yeah. And it, it wouldn't be the same without them, regardless of our connection with the community now. I, I just I feel like this work is about building community and music is a means to do that. But if you look at it as a, a social aspect of our lives, uh, you know, building those connections to other organizations and to other communities is really important across the board. Um, just in general for humanity, like, mm-hmm. isn't that what we all want is to have these meaningful, honest connections with people?
0: Absolutely. Yes. So we're coming up to the end of our interview. But I'm curious to know what what's getting you excited about your musical life right now? What are you working on?
1: Oh, man, so many things. I have a very <laughs> eclectic portfolio career. When I mentioned earlier, you know, why I wanted to be a musician and and kind of coming to understand what that means later in life, I I really have different facets that you know something comes to the forefront um, at different times. Sometimes it's performing, sometimes it's research, sometimes it's administration. Right now, I have a bit of, you know, fires in every single area. Yeah. Um, and I'm excited about all of them. Um, I, I'm a really proud Maritimer from Halifax. And uh, I'm going on a little mini tour with my cellist uh, there in, in the spring mm-hmm. uh, to Nova Scotia. So that's, I'm, I'm excited about that performing wise. I've just recently started conducting with uh, my my choir, thanks to our our music director. So that's a an interesting new thing that I'm exploring, and then on the research front, um, like I said, I'm working on this paper with uh, with Aaron, but I'm also working on my thesis as part of my PhD. And adaptive concerts is about a third of my thesis, so there's a lot to come and piles of papers to read through, yes. both music scores and uh, and research. But it really it really fuels me to have all these different components, and and I think that they support one another um, and make me a better better musician and a better person. So that's Absolutely. what I'm excited about.
0: That sounds so great. I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing how that unfolds for you. Well, it's been a, such a pleasure getting to chat with you. We're going to wrap up our chat with a few rapid fire questions. I'm doing the same rapid fire questions for all of our interviewees this season. No wrong answers, just go with your gut. Uh, can you point to a moment when you knew you wanted to be a musician?
1: So I mentioned that, you know, I'm a classical pianist, but I also play the violin. And actually, my first orchestra experience ever, I was 13 years old, and I was playing with the Nova Scotia Youth Orchestra in a side by side concert with Symphony Nova Scotia playing the planets, which is a huge work for our, your first orchestral <laughs> performance. And I had total shivers down my spine i like i i was over the moon happy and i just thought i always want to do something like this so that was it for me
0: that's incredible do you have a favorite piece or song to perform currently
1: oh that's so hard that's so so hard i i really love romantic and impressionist repertoire in general um but i'm also a closeted broadway music musical lover Um, so lately i've been inspired because i was just in new york i've been playing wicked at home um so you know what that's just for fun
0: i love it i love it uh Have you ever been given Bad career advice.
1: And what was it? 100%. I have been given very bad (laughs) career advice. And I think that most musicians have been given bad career advice. It was to focus on solo repertoire and not allow other things to distract me. Those other things that would, quote, distract me are the things that make me want to be a musician. And so solo performance is not and was not my passion, nor is it generally feasible as a main career. So I would say that I didn't listen to, to that advice. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me to perform with lots of other people and do many other things during my uh, musical education
0: I would I would agree that that's bad advice I was also given that same advice when I was in my undergrad and then thankfully my piano teacher said no choir is the thing that because I love collaborating with choirs that was totally my passion and that now makes up a large part of my income is working with choirs and because it's the thing that I love to do yeah yeah she was like no absolutely not you need to keep going to god
1: yeah yeah mine was you know learn the concerto and i said i'm never going to play with an orchestra i don't even want to play with an orchestra why yeah. do i have to play my concerto twenty thousand hours a week instead of learning a new work by my composer friend mm-hmm. you know and now yeah. that composer friend is doing really great things in canada and I, i'm more excited about their work than performing a concerto ever so yeah <laughs>
0: I love that. What is the best musical or career advice that you can pass on to up and coming musicians or people who are looking to to get into it as a as a career?
1: Two things I would say form what you think is a sustainable and happy life. That's what success is. It's not Mm -hmm. something that can be dictated by a particular person or or the music industry. And the other thing that I always tell people is support your coworkers and your friends, especially in music school. If they don't continue to be professional musicians, they will be your audience. Their kids will be your students. And if they do continue to be professional musicians, they'll be your colleagues and the people calling you to present a concert with them. And you know, we all need that support. It can be a really competitive industry. And Mm -hmm. I think once you realize that it's really all about your connections and collaborations, uh, it really changes the way that you look at it.
0: I remember being at a piano camp and the instructors, they said to us, look around the room. These are your colleagues. These are the people that you're going to run into for the rest of your life. And they were not wrong. Uh, One of my best friends, came out of that. We met that week and um, still one of my closest friends and was my collaborator for a long time till I moved to Ontario. So I absolutely agree with you. That's fantastic advice. We need to be more community minded rather than competition minded.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And I had very similar experiences.
0: What are you listening to right now, other than Wicked?
1: <laughs> I have very eclectic taste. I grew up listening to like rock and roll with my parents, yeah. Billy Joel, Ellen John. And I don't actually listen to too much classical music, uh, but I like crossover uh, genres. Like mm-hmm. uh, I really enjoy listening to The Fretless or Kishi Bashi or uh, Ayana Witter-Johnson and things like the Danish String Quartet, but them playing uh, folk tunes. Yeah. Um, so so those are the kinds of things that I, that I put on. When I have time, to focus on music because music distracts me if I have it on in the background.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same way. I can't listen to music while I'm working because then I'm looking up the score or the band or the, sure. yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm, I'm like that as well.
0: Well, can you let our listeners know where to find you and follow along with all the amazing work that you're doing? And then I will link everything in the show notes as well.
1: Sure thing. So um, Chamberfest is probably the easiest way to get in touch with me by email. It's J, my last name Richard. So jrichards at chamberfest.com for email. And my Instagram Instagram handle is at Jenna K. Just the letter K. Richards. I do have a private account, but as long as you send me a message, let me know that you're a human. I will accept (laughs) you as a follower. And like I said, this paper um, I'm hoping will be coming out soon. And so when it is, I'll definitely send the link to Olivia so that you can uh, so that you can post that because the model one of the main tenets of the research is is that it's going to be a practical paper. So there'll be you know guidelines in the last couple pages so that people can easily follow a checklist to make adapted concerts. So hoping
0: hoping have that out soon so that people can can utilize it. I'm really looking forward to that. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Jenna. It was a pleasure to talk with you. And I really hope that we start to see more and more adaptive concert experiences pop up around the country. So thank you so much for being a part of that conversation.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And that is a wrap for our episode on adaptive concert experiences with Jenna Richards. Don't forget to get in touch with her and to think more about how your organization or you yourself can create accessible concerts for all. And for those of you who are audience members in concerts, maybe think about sharing this with your local arts organization or symphony and get them thinking about ways that they can become more accessible for people with exceptionalities. As always, links for everything will be in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, google play and don't forget to leave us a five star rating or written review and the episodes are always available on concert stream as well thank you to the saskatoon symphony orchestra for sponsoring this podcast don't forget to subscribe to concertstream.tv to watch their streamed concerts or to pick up your tickets for upcoming shows my name is olivia adams this is loud and clear and thanks for listening in i'll see you back here next week